And adults and everyone else, if you want to take your Bibles and turn with me again to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 20, or not chapter, um, actually turn with me to Genesis 49. We already really dealt with what the main passage was in your bulletins. And by the time we, Lord willing, if we're able to finish up what we uh, are looking at this evening, uh, we'll get to Genesis chapter 49. As we again consider Christ, who is our prophet, priest, and king. And again, we are continuing our look at the kingly office of Christ. And in fact, let's go ahead and read Genesis 49. Uh, We're just going to read verses 1 through 27. And then we'll pray and jump into our study this evening. Genesis 49, verse 1, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph 
is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you. By the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word. Father, we thank you for how you are continuing to speak through the prophets and particularly the patriarchs uh, as they speak prophetically, as we've just read of Jacob's prophecy and blessing over his sons. And Father, how through those blessings that are specific to a time and place, you still are remembering to keep your promise made all the way back to Adam, made to Noah, made to Abraham and to Isaac that you will provide a righteous king, one who will rule and reign with justice and equity. And Father, may we learn from your word this evening. May we seek to be molded and shaped more into the image of your Son. May we find our hope cast upon him completely. We pray all this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. So to sort of uh, recap where we are and, and what we've been looking at, we've been looking at the patriarchs as kings. And two weeks ago, we spent some time discussing Isaac and how Isaac uh, uh, was a patriarch and, and particularly the, the kingly role that he had in view and the things that he did there. And then we began talking about Jacob. And so to talk a little bit more specifically about Jacob, we talked about how Jacob was set apart as a king from the womb uh, and this was something that was uh, clearly perceived in, in his, uh, his, the story we see about Jacob. Um, again, the kingdom concept is there in Isaac, but it's not as explicit as we find in Jacob's story. As Jacob and his brother Esau are wrestling in their mother's womb, and she cries out and says, you know, essentially, what in the world's going on here? Uh, there is a prophecy given by the Lord that speaks of how the younger will serve the older, and so this, this struggle, this exercising of dominion is, is in Jacob's hand even from the point of when he's in his mother's womb. And so God confirms that there are going to be nations that come from both Esau and Jacob. But as we mentioned, we saw God turning back the way of man through this so that instead of the firstborn being the one who receives that preeminence, it actually is Jacob. And even in birth, the struggle between these two leaders of nations is evident as Jacob grabs a hold of Esau's uh, heel. And of course, that's where he receives his name, heel snatcher or usurper. Um, and we see him you know, coming in and, and God's plan working even through the rebellion of people. And we talked about how God will, will do what he plans to do even as he used, uses the sinful actions of kings and of men. And so we looked at that as Jacob as a shrewd king. 
and focused on that sovereignty that God exercises even over the wickedness of men, that God uses the, the raging of men, the hatred of men, that that itself even brings about praise to him. And then throughout Jacob's life, we see that he's shown to be a shrewd, manipulative, and dishonest ruler, and yet God still uses him to accomplish his purposes. And so, again, this, this reminds us of the power of God and the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises, but it also is a reminder to us that salvation and hope cannot come from man, that we will ultimately fall short. We will not have the excellence, the, 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 the ascribing to the moral standard, like we looked at this morning, that Christ has. And so we talked about some of the things that Jacob did as a shrewd king. Uh, we saw that he seizes on an opportunity and exploitation to gain Esau's birthright. And then I need to make a correction from what I said last week. I spent a lot of time talking about his lie to the Philistines. And I was studying both Isaac and Jacob at the same time. And I ended up getting my stories crisscrossed. And so Isaac was the one who lied to the Philistines like his father about uh, his wife saying, you know, pretend you're my, my sister and those type of things. So we'll just, we'll just take that out of there. <laughs> and so, so see, I, I am a human being. I make mistakes. Uh, and so I needed to correct that. It was Isaac who did that, not Jacob. But that doesn't take away from the reality that Jacob still was a shrewd king. He, uh, in league with his mother, lies to his father to receive his blessing. And all of his deceit brings damage along the way. In fact, we'll We'll see and we'll talk about even later on in his life how his own children sort of take upon themselves that same sort of shrewdness and dishonesty and deceit and it causes problems for Jacob along the way. So even though Jacob was a shrewd king, even though he was a dishonest king, we also find the fact that he still is a blessed king. And so this is where we're picking up. We left off last week at, his, at the shrewd aspect of it. Now we're looking at Jacob as a blessed king. Now again, Jacob, even in birth, is trying to usurp. Even in birth, he's grabbing a hold of Esau's heel. But as we've already seen, God chose Jacob from his mother's womb to be the child of blessing. He is the one through whom God will keep the promises he's made to Abraham. And again, this, this allows us to sort of stand back and, and marvel at the grace of God. We recounted the different ways in which Jacob was dishonest and sinful and deceitful in the way that he lived his life. And yet, he's the one who God has chosen to bless. Did Jacob deserve that? No. And yet, God's grace is of such power that he extends it to Jacob. And in particular, Jacob receives a kingly blessing from his father, Isaac. Now this is when, again, Jacob has, in league with his mother, conspired. And, and, and Jacob's, uh, Jacob, Isaac says to Esau, his son, go out and get me something to eat, and, I, and when you come back, I will come and I will bless you. And we know the story. Um, Jacob's mother says, hey, put on these, these uh, skins of an animal, go into your father, his father who is now old and blind, doesn't know who's there. He feels his arms, sees that they're hairy, and then he gives the blessing that he would have given to Esau to Jacob. Now, uh, again, this is all deceptive. This is all sinful in the way in which they're going about this. But that doesn't change the sovereign plan of God. It doesn't excuse their sinful actions. 
God in no way, shape, or form is honoring Jacob because of his deceitfulness, but he yet is a God who is good even to those who are deceitful and, and dishonest. And so what does Isaac's blessing provide? Well, first of all, we see that it is a blessing that he gives him that is dependent upon the grace of God. In fact, if we want to turn back a little bit and take, take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis uh, chapter, I think it is 39. No. Keep going. Genesis 30. Uh, nope, that's not it either. Genesis. I thought I had it in my notes and then I pulled, I pulled it away. Um, Genesis. We'll get there. Genesis 27. Genesis 27. So if we, if we look down in Genesis 27, and look at verse 26. Genesis 27, verse 26. It says, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of the earth and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So the first thing we see about this blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob that's meant for Esau is it's dependent upon God. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Everything that is coming, the blessing that was given to Abraham, the blessing that was repeated to Isaac, and the blessing that Isaac is repeating to Jacob is fully dependent on God's grace. Isaac speaks of the great nation that Jacob will lead, that peoples will serve him, nations will bow down to him, and that his brothers, his mother's sons, would also bow down to him. This again focuses on this kingly role, this sovereign role, this this ruling role that Jacob will have. And he establishes Jacob as the Lord over Isaac's house. That having his brothers bow down to him is essentially saying, you're the one who is now the patriarch. You're the leader of this family. You're the king of what God is building from his promises to Abraham and his promises to me. And then we see him directly restating the Abrahamic covenant at the very end end of verse 29. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And again, these are promises made to Abraham at the very beginning. If anyone curses you, God will curse them. If anyone blesses you, God will bless them. And we see that same repetition. And then we even see that when Jacob is sent to Laban to spend time there with him, Isaac again reiterates this blessing to you. 
to him. In fact, if you look, just turn over to Genesis 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And then we see this blessing, God Almighty will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May He give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to who? Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Baden Aram to Laban the son of Bethuel, the Armean the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. So we see very clearly that, that the blessing that was given to Abraham, that was restated to Isaac, is now passing to Jacob. And again, we see these, these implications for the nation as he speaks of the land that's going to be given to him, that he's going to f- be fruitful to multiply, that this blessing and offspring will come to him. He'll take possession of the land. And we see again God setting up this kingly role and blessing Jacob. We, but then we also know, we can, we're not going to spend the time to go over the different passages, but what ends up happening is Jacob is, is traveling throughout his life. He comes to a place that he, he eventually calls Pen, uh, Peniel, and God himself comes to him in a dream. And in that dream, what does he do? He restates the Abrahamic covenant. Jacob recognizes this, and he recognizes his desperate need for God's blessing. And so what does he choose to do? He wrestles with God. He says, I won't let go of you until you what? Bless me. And so, again, we see the very clear indications that if Jacob is going to rule in such a way that is successful, if his life is going to be in such a way that it honors the Lord, if he's going to have the, the riches and, and the, the blessings, it has to come from God. He seeks everything from the Lord. And it's at this point that God changes Jacob's name. Remember that name, Jacob the usurper, the heel snatcher, the one who was deceitful. When Jacob finally realizes that deceit and cunning and using his own way and going about his own way to bring these things will not bring hope for him, but rather only the blessing of God will bring that, what does God do? He changes his name. He says, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but rather your name will be what? Israel. And we see a nation now being created so that we have his children, 12 children of his, that will eventually become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. This new kingdom has God as its ultimate king and Jacob as his vice regent. Jacob is the one who is going to lead. Israel, now having his name, is to live in submission to the king of kings. In fact, that that kingly role, that God is the king of kings, is first expressed in the way in which he is the king of the king of Israel, Jacob, as a patriarch. 
And, and this shows us what God is seeking to do through redemption. He's seeking to restore the very beginning of the creative order. When God created the world, He created the world. He, he put Adam and Eve in the garden to tend it. And He told them that they were to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. That they were to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and everything that creeps on the earth. That God was the ultimate king of all creation, but Adam and Eve were tasked with being the physical kings in a co-regent role with God. Sin came in, distorted that, destroyed that ability, and now as God is bringing about the redemption of mankind, keeping His promise that He made in Genesis 3.15, He is now re-establishing with a people that role. That he is the king of Israel. And that Israel, Jacob, will rule as a king over his people. This is the hope of redemption. Restoring us to what God has originally intended for us in creation. Well, how does Jacob do as a king? What is his reign like? And as we would expect, as we've seen with both Abraham and with Isaac... There are times where he honors the Lord with his reign, and there are also times where he fails to reign properly. So what is Jacob's reign like? Well, we see him pursuing kingly peace in his reconciliation with Esau. We actually see dominion being practiced by the way in which Jacob prepares for his brother's arrival. Yet, as he does this, he also is gripped by what? Fear. I mean, Esau is coming with hundreds of men coming to him. And, and of course, Jacob knows what he's done to Esau. And, and the Lord had promised that from Esau there would be a great nation that would be made. And so Jacob is making preparations. He's gripped with fear. But we also see him praying an intercessory prayer before the Lord. If you want to turn to Genesis 32... Genesis 32 and verse 9. And I find this really interesting because if you compare this prayer to other prayers of the kings of Israel when they're going into battle, very similar. Look at what he says. Genesis 32 verses 9 through 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. And what, a, what, a, what a different attitude from Jacob than the brash deceitful man that he was now coming recognizing that all the blessings he has he's not worthy of even the smallest one of them he says that i have with only my staff i crossed this jordan and now i have become two camps so notice what he says in verse 11 please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of esau for i fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, 
I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. I think we, we see here in Jacob the right kingly response to conflict, the right kingly response to difficulty, to the unknown. You know, it's, it's oftentimes it's the things that we don't know that cause us the greatest amount of anxiety, that cause issues for us. And so Jacob focuses here in his prayer on what he does know. And the first thing that he begins with knowing is, I don't deserve anything from you, Lord. I'm not worthy of the least of the blessings that you've given you. And then he gives thanks to God by speaking of the blessings that he's given. I've, I've gone with just my staff and crossed this Jordan. You've taken care of me all this time. Now I've become two camps. And so he recognizes that God doesn't owe him anything. But yet he also prays that God would be the one who would deliver him. And this is the key that we find over and over and over again as God speaks to the kings of Israel. Throughout their history, Israel is going to face um, opposition from the nations around them. There's going to be attacks leveled by stronger nations, seemingly much more powerful nations, nations that do terrible things to their enemies. And Israel's going to be tempted to, to flee and to try to find help from alliances with Egypt, alliances with other nations. And God is going to remind them over and over again, the only one you truly need for victory is me. And this is what Jacob focuses on here. God is the one who's going to deliver him from the hand of his brother. From the hand of Esau. And then notice what he says, for I fear him. There are lots of things in this life that we can fear. Lots of difficulties and trials. Lots of problems. I was even reading recently an article, that, I don't know if you heard that this weekend or Friday there was a bank that collapsed in, in Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And, it, you know, immediately as I'm reading about this, my mind starts going to like what you read about things happening in the depressions, the runs on the banks and things like that. We look at the state of the world, we look at what's happening with Ukraine and Russia, we look at our economy, we look at at just the moral fabric of our society decaying around us. And it can bring fear. What are we to do with that fear? And so often I think we internalize that fear and we focus on that fear and we just look to that fear. But rather, what does Jacob do? He goes to the Lord with that fear and he tells him, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Lord. You're going to have to be the one who delivers me. You're going to be, have to be the one who brings about this blessing. And I think what's amazing to see here is that as he comes and brings his fear before the Lord, he also calls on God to be faithful to his promises. Notice what he says in verse 12. You said. He depends upon what God has said. There is nothing wrong with us in a, a respectful way to come before the Lord and to say, you said you would do this, so do it. We don't come demanding, we don't come with a haughty attitude, but yet we call upon God to be faithful to His promises. 
Why has God written these things? To show us what He will do. And so Jacob here is saying, You said, I surely, I will surely do you good. I'll make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And what, what ends up happening here as Jacob does this is not only is it calling upon God to be faithful to what he said he is going to do, but now Jacob is reminding himself of the promises that God has made to him. I, I think that's one aspect of praying God's promises or calling upon God to keep His promises, not so that we can remind God as though He has somehow forgotten what He has promised to do, but rather it's a reminder to who? To us of what God has promised to do. And as we look at those great and precious and many varied promises that God gives us, that drives away fear. That's how we're able to have peace in the midst of conflict. And so what we find is that rather than approaching his brother with deceit as before, he comes to him and there is this wonderful um, reconciliation between the brothers that happens. And this is all being guided by the sovereign hand of God. But yet, we also see that Jacob, as he is working on those things, you know what he has ended up neglecting? His family. His family is left to see how he has acted in deceit and wickedness, and like father, like what? Son. And so we see this happening as Jacob acts foolishly and fails to properly reign over his children. Now there is this terrible defiling that happens to their, their, their sister, the, his son's sister, his daughter Leah. And Jacob hears about this, he's grieved, but he also holds his peace until, the, um, until they come to him. And so um, the father of Shechem, the one who ended up doing this terrible thing to um, Leah, or um, to Dinah, I'm sorry, comes and wants, him, wants his son to marry him, and, and there's this whole backstory that ends up happening, and there's this trickery that happens, particularly focusing on Levi and Simeon. And they come, and, and, and as they trick them into saying that you have to be circumcised, everybody in your nation has to be circumcised, and so they do that to these grown men, which would be an absolutely terrible thing to happen. And then while they're resting and recovering from that, they go through and they seek, and here's the thing, they seek to exercise dominion through violence. Remember, we go back to the time around Noah. What was it that was driving man's dominion? It was violence. And Jacob is grieved in his heart at this is the way that his sons are now seeking to reign, to provide dominion through, through deception and violence. And so, we see that this deceit that Jacob had practiced for so long of his life, it now comes full circle on him. And Jacob rebukes Simeon and Levi. In fact, you can look at chapter 34, verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. 
the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. And of course, his sons come back. Well, should we let these people abuse our sister the way they did? And so by Jacob's failure to properly reign over his children and to deal with the situation in a righteous way, there are problems that now will even come down to the blessing that we just read a few moments ago in the way he discusses Simeon and Levi. Now Jacob, as we know, has 12 sons, and of those 12 sons, there's one in particular that is his favorite. Who is it? Who's, who's Jacob's favorite son? Joseph. And we see favoritism being given to Joseph. What, what does he give Joseph to show him a sign of his favoritism? A gift that none of the other sons get. What does he give him? A coat of many colors. Fine apparel. The other sons don't receive this. And of course this leads into, and of course there are other factors that play a part in um, how the other sons treat Joseph, but it nevertheless we find that it's probably not the wisest thing to favor one child over the other. It causes discord. It causes problems. It causes conflict. And that conflict rose to such a degree that now Joseph feels at liberty to sort of brag to his brothers, you know what I dreamed? All you guys are going to bow down to me. That's right. I mean, no brother is going to like their younger brother saying something like that to them. And so the violence that we saw with Reuben and Simeon is now lashed out against Joseph. And we're not going to spend the time. We're going to talk about Joseph, Lord willing, next week or the week after. But that violence now comes and they seek to subdue him by throwing him in a pit and then selling their own brother into slavery. They come and what do they do? They, they, they deceive their father. They bring that coat of many colors, they dip it in animal blood, and they say, this is what's happened to your son, he's dead. And so Jacob mourns greatly for the loss of his son, and so his own deceit comes back on him. There is a principle in Scriptures that you reap what you what. So. But yet, at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, we see Jacob, as, he, as everything is ended, he's, his family is now in Egypt. They're becoming established there. And Joseph brings his father to meet his boss. And who is Joseph's boss? Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 47. Genesis 47. Genesis 47, and particularly verses 7 through 12. What we find here is that Pharaoh looks at, at Jacob as an equal, as a ruler, as a king. Jacob provides blessings as a ruler to Pharaoh. Look with me again. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days 
of the years of your life. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh commanded. And Joseph, Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. It's very interesting at the end here when Pharaoh comes and says, he just wants to meet him, and, and Jacob chooses to bless Pharaoh. But yet in that blessing, he offers a, a somewhat unprovoked assessment of his life. He's lived 130 years on the earth. We see Jacob with 12 sons, his family being provided with abundance of provision in Egypt, while what's going on in the rest of the world? Famine. Yet Jacob considered his life at that point as few of days than they were of his parents and full of evil, and that he did not attain to the blessings of his father's. Now, is, what are we to make of Jacob's assessment of his reign? Is he right? Is it true? And in one sense, yes. He suffered throughout his life. And that suffering is likely a consequence of his deceitful and wicked ways. We have to recognize that there are always consequences from sin. That while in Christ we are spared the eternal consequences by God's grace, and we praise the Lord for that, that does not change the fact that there are consequences today, sometimes lifelong consequences for the choices we make in sin. Sin will often bring unforeseen, heartbreaking, and even at times lifelong consequences. We see this over and over again in Scripture, specifically with David who showed true, contrite repentance and prayed that God would cleanse him of his sin. But yet, what happened to David's son? He died. What happened to David's family after that point? It was a mess. His own son raised up in rebellion against him and led a civil war against him. Sin has consequences. But yet Jacob's life has not been one that has been immune of blessing. In fact, it's been one of immense blessing. So what are we to make of this assessment made by King Jacob, the patriarch at the end of his life? What will our lives likely be full of? Both blessing and difficulty. How are we to assess that? Well, I think at the end of our lives, we shouldn't respond that our lives have been few years and evil have been the days of our lives. Rather, we should first praise the Lord and give thanks to Him for what He has done for us. And we should 
point people to the hope that gives us hope beyond this life, the hope that's given in the gospel. That's how we can bless people today, by pointing them to Jesus Christ. Apart from this blessing in Christ, there is nothing left on this earth but misery. But for those who have Christ, we have in Him every single spiritual blessings, blessing in the heavenly places in Him. And so as a final act, as a kingly, fi- 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 excuse me, kingly figure, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And what we see here is again another hint of how God is bringing to completion the promise He made to Abraham that in his nation, that in his family, the other nations of the world will be what? Blessed. They'll be blessed. And we see that blessing here with Jacob. And I just realized I forgot the B on the slide. It's not Jacob. Jacob's reign. Which brings us now to, and this isn't in your handout, so I don't know if you have room on the back of your handouts, but I wanted to talk about Jacob's blessing to his children. And this is where we come to Genesis 49. And I doubt we'll get through everything here this, this evening as we look at this. Jacob comes to the end of his lives, uh, the end of his life. He's not a cat. He doesn't have nine lives. He comes to the end of his life. And Israel, as a nation, is now settled in Egypt. You have to understand what has happened here. Jacob, even with Abraham, we had hundreds of people that he was leading. Now we come to this point, and that, that group of people has grown exponentially, both with Isaac and now with Jacob and his 12 sons. And his 12 sons are having have wives and they're having children and so there's this growth of this nation that God is making as he promised and so Jacob after he he and his son settle in Egypt he calls them to himself to bless them he's old and he recognizes that his days on the earth are limited and will soon come to an end and then he blesses each Son, each tribe receives a specific blessing spoken over them. And so we read this this evening, and so I'd like to just sort of review some of the things that he says. We see Reuben, the firstborn, is a strong and a powerful man. And even Jacob says here that you are preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power in verse 3 of Genesis 49. But does he get to retain that preeminence? No. It's stripped from him because he's unstable as water. We see that, un- uh, that instability in the way he interacts with his, parent, with his, with his uh, father, and the way he speaks as the, as the leader of the, the 12 sons. I mean, there's all sorts of difficulties with Reuben. And so he has that preeminence strict, stripped from him. And particularly we see that in the way that he is involved in an incestuous relationship with his father's concubine we see Simeon and Levi those that chose violence as a way to bring about the growth of the nation they're stripped from having a specific place among the people because of that violence and as we if we were to fast forward and look at the division of the land once they had gone in on the conquest Levi does he receive any land 
No. He's to have land among the people, but he's not to actually have a specific area. The same thing happens with Simeon. His area is he's given some cities in Judah, but he's not actually given a particular area or land that would be the land of Simeon. Zebulun is blessed with maritime blessings. We see that he is going to dwell at the shore. He'll have a, it'll be a haven for ships. We see Issachar is spoken of as having strength, but being foolish. We see that Dan is blessed with judgment over the people of Israel. That Gad is going to be one who will have military victory. Asher is blessed with agricultural blessings. And Joseph is not blessed, is blessed not as a son, but he ends up being equated with the patriarchs. And in fact, in chapter 48, we see, um, we see Jacob giving blessings specifically to Joseph's sons. They come before him and he pronounces blessing on them. And again, even in that blessing, we see God turning back as he blesses the younger over the elder. And then he ends by blessing Benjamin, who will be a military power. We see in verse 27, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. But who did I leave out? Judah. What we find is that particularly for Judah, Jacob gives a kingly blessing. Jacob's blessing on Judah is unique, and it speaks prophetically of Judah's unique kingly role. And we see this in verses 8 through 12. So let's look there again. Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his vole to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This is a significant prophecy regarding the king and the kingdom that he will bring one day from Judah. And so next week, I know we have, we'll be done a little bit early today, but there's not enough time to jump through all this stuff. So next week, we'll take a closer look at what Judah is prophesying, or what, what Jacob is prophesying here regarding Judah and the coming hope of a king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that we find in it. We thank you, Father, for how your faithfulness to your promises is shown. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, seek to 
humbly come before you as Jacob did when faced with the difficulties of life and to seek your kingly victory, not a victory in our own strength. Father, there are many things that can cause us to fear today. May we find hope from fear by turning to you. Father, work in our midst through your Spirit. Give us a good week this week, Father, as we seek to uh, praise and honor and glorify you. May our time in your word be fruitful. May our conversations point to Christ. May we shine as lights in the darkness, pushing back the powers of the night so that your glory can be seen through us. Father, thank you for the hope we have in Christ. May we live it out every day. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.